Let's turn in our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll read verses 1 through 20. Matthew 16. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, There shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. When his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. They reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, And how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, and I trust it's clear to all of us that rock is not Peter, as the Roman Catholic Church claims, but that rock is his confession of the truth in verse 16, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the rock that the church is built on is Christ. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. As far we read the word of God, Our text is verse 18. Let me read that again. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In our text, beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ gave a comforting word to his 
disciples about the church. And that was a very necessary word for them. It was necessary for them to hear that word of Christ and to have Christ speak that word to them because Jesus Christ's own ministry, which they had observed and of which they had been a part, seemed a failure, seemed very, very unsuccessful. That becomes evident from the question that Christ asked in verse 13. He said to the disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the answer the disciples gave was not what it ought to have been. The answer should have been, They say thou art the Son of Man. They say thou art the Messiah. They say that thou art the Son of God. They say that thou art our Savior. But that's not what men said. Men said concerning Christ that he was John the Baptist, that he was Elijah, that he was Jeremiah, or that he was one of the prophets. Christ had preached. Christ had done miracles. Christ had traveled everywhere throughout the land and nation of Judah and Israel. Thousands had heard his preaching, and thousands had seen his miracles. But hardly anyone knew him. Hardly anyone believed in him and hardly anyone followed him. It was a day of small things as far as positive fruit is concerned regarding the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church that came as a fruit of the ministry of Christ was only a little flock at this point. And the disciples on account of that were of course inclined to become discouraged, to say, where is the church of Christ? Where is the fruit upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where is the kingdom of Christ that he came to establish. Christ, knowing of the discouragement that was in the hearts of the disciples, stated, I will build my church, and I will succeed in building my church, and not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. That was the promise of Christ to his disciples, and that is also the promise of Christ to us today. I think we would all agree that's a promise that we need too. I'm sure it's a promise that you need to hear as I know that it's a promise that I myself need to hear. Sometimes for us too it can seem that the work of Christ in which we are involved is not very successful. Struggles because of the size of the Church of Christ. Struggles because of the size of the denomination of churches to which we belong, the PRCP. Especially when we think of what it could have been from a human point of view. Struggles because there is very little interest in the truth of the Word of God today. Living in a country of 110 million 
living in a metropolitan area, a city area of 20 plus million people and hardly any are interested in the truth of the Reformed faith, the truth of Scripture, the truth of God. And we can become discouraged because of problems that arise in the church, disagreements and fighting, departure from the church and separation, as well as opposition to the church. And the child of God who loves the church of Christ is going to be concerned by all those things and at times will wonder what is happening to the church? What is happening to the cause of Christ? Is all of the work and effort that we have put into it resulting in a failure as it was or at least as it seemed to be? in the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. And so to us, Christ says what he said to his disciples, all is well for my church because I will build my church and I will succeed. And the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The church of Christ is safe because the Church of Christ is in the hands of Jesus Christ. Therefore, and thereby, Christ instructs us not to rely upon men and not to rely upon ourselves, but always to look by faith to Christ and to His work in the Church. Our theme as we consider this Word of God is Christ building and protecting His church. We'll notice His work of building, His work of protecting, and the certainty of this. Christ will build His church. What does that mean? Well, Christ is speaking, beloved, in that phrase chiefly of the fact that he will gather and he will save to himself all the elect. The church refers to all of the elect and Christ knows who all the elect are. He knows who the elect church is. He knows all those that the Father has given to him from eternity in the decree of election. He knows them all by name, he says. He knows how many elect there are in this world and how many elect there will be from the beginning to the very end of time. He knows where they are in this world. He knows in which family they are. He knows in which town they are. He knows in which city they are. He knows in which country they are in the world. And he knows that each elect is needed in the church. The church is a building. And every elect is a brick in that building. And the church cannot exist if just one of the elect is missing in that building. And so Christ builds his church. Christ saves his people. He gathers them in. He does that in every age of the world's history. And he does that from every nation of the world where his elect are. He gathers in his elect to himself from every city and every family where they are. He gathers his elect to himself here in the Philippines and here in Provident PRC. He saves each of them. He saves them from their sins. He saves them by bringing them to a conscious faith in himself so they believe and they trust in him and know that he is their Savior and confess that he is their Lord. And he joins them 
to his body. He joins them to the church. The church is like a building. And a man constructs the building. And as he is constructing the building, he keeps adding bricks to that building. And he keeps adding bricks to that building until the building is finished, completed, done. And that's exactly what Christ is doing. He has a building that needs to be completed. And so he must build that building. He must build that church. And each elect is a brick that must be put in place in that church by Jesus Christ. Must be saved by him. He is the sovereign builder. Sovereign in salvation. Sovereign in building his church until his church is finished. That's what scripture says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 too. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He begins the work he continues the work and he will complete the work of building his church. How does Christ do that? Well, Christ does that by the preaching of his word, chiefly. The text itself indicates that too, because Christ said, upon this rock I will build my church. And that rock was, is not as many falsely interpret the text, a reference to Peter the Apostle, who somehow supposedly becomes the bishop of the church universal in this world. The rock is the truth that Peter confessed in verse 16 that thou art the Christ the son of the living God and Christ says that's what I will build my church on I will build my church on that rock the rock that is myself the son of God the savior I will be the cornerstone of the church the church will be built upon myself and the means that he uses is that the church preaches the gospel concerning that rock. The church preaches the word who is Christ. The church preaches the truth. Christ uses that to build his church, to save his elect. The preaching that is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1 verse 16. The preaching of the gospel, which is referred to as the foolishness of preaching, because that's how the world views preaching. But that foolishness of preaching is the power of God that saves the elect. The preaching that is the chief means of grace. The preaching that is central in our worship services because it is the chief means of grace. The preaching is what Christ uses, the preaching of the truth, to save the elect from every nation. And the reason that the preaching accomplishes that is because when the truth is preached, when the true gospel is proclaimed by the church, through the preaching of the word, then it is Christ who preaches. It is Christ who speaks. And the elect, you and I, the elect, hear the voice of Christ through faithful preaching. We don't just hear a man. We don't just hear the voice of a pastor, a missionary, but we hear the voice of Christ. Christ through faithful preaching, a voice that is powerful, a voice that alone is powerful to save 
those whom God has ordained unto life eternal, the voice of a man saves no one. The voice of Christ brings the elect to conscious faith and salvation in him through the Spirit applying that word. Christ speaks and Christ saves. Do you understand, beloved, when we speak of Christ doing that grand, glorious work which is the purpose of all of history and the purpose of the existence of the universe, the purpose of the existence of mankind, the purpose of the existence of the nations of the world, and the purpose of all that happens in the providence of God when Christ is busy doing that work in history of saving the elect, then Christ is also interested in and also is busy in his work of building local congregations, local churches. The local church is important to our Lord Jesus Christ. And the local church is important to our Lord Jesus Christ because the local congregation is an earthly manifestation of the church that is the body of Christ. Provident PRC is that, an earthly manifestation of the body of Christ, and therefore important to Jesus Christ. Important to Jesus Christ because he uses the local church. Important to Jesus Christ because for the sake of the elect, the local congregation, by means of the office bearers and by means of its using the means of grace in that church, the preaching of the gospel chief among the means of grace, that local congregation becomes the spiritual mother of the elect of God. The spiritual mother who feeds the elect. The spiritual mother who teaches the elect of God. The spiritual mother who provides for the elect of God, the spiritual mother who raises them and raises the elect of God sometimes even with discipline as parents raise their children with discipline. The spiritual mother who comforts the people of God in all of the circumstances of life. The spiritual mother who cares for the souls of the people of God, the spiritual mother who guides the elect on the narrow way that leads to life eternal. The local church is important to Christ. You are here as a local church. But the point of the text is this, that even as regards the local congregation, a local congregation exists not because of any man, any individual, any one office bearer, or any one person, but the local congregation exists only because of Christ. Because he established you as a church here. Because he united you together in his truth. Because he put you together here as a congregation of his people. And therefore the local church will only grow because of Christ. Will only grow in numbers because of the work of Christ. Because Christ is pleased to add your children to the congregation. Because Christ is pleased to add families to his church. Because Christ is pleased to add others to the congregation. And the local congregation will grow spiritually only because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who will cause you to grow in your faith and knowledge of him. And he will do that also, chiefly 
by means of the faithful preaching of the Word of God. Again, that's why preaching in a Reformed church is central and even the main element in our worship, the chief means of grace. The text teaches us that this work is exclusively the work of Christ. He says, after questioning his disciples and understanding that his disciples were discouraged because it seemed that the church was not being built, it seemed that the ministry of Christ and the disciples' work as ministers of the word in the kingdom of Christ was not bearing much fruit, if any, Christ says in response to all of that, I will build my church. He does not say, men will build my church. He does not rely on men waiting somehow for us to build the church, waiting for us to save people. He did not command his disciples, nor does he command us in the church today. Now you go out, you get busy building the church, that's your work. I've done my part in laying down my life to redeem the elect. Now it's up to you to gather them in. He doesn't say that. He says, I will build my church. It is my work. And so we know that the church and her welfare is in the hands of the Son of God. Now that is not to deny that Christ uses men. He does. That's even evident in the very next verse, verse 19. He says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And we know that the keys of the kingdom are preaching and discipline. And Christ gives them to the church and Christ commands the church to use those keys of the kingdom of heaven. He is pleased to use men. He is. He used the apostles. They laid the foundation of the New Testament church by preaching the word to many nations. He is pleased to use men today. He calls and he sends pastors. He calls and he sends missionaries. He uses the witness of believers as members in the church of Christ. He is pleased to use office bearers, especially as they operate the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the word and Christian discipline. He is pleased also to use parents, parents teaching their children and parents bringing them up in the fear of the Lord and parents bringing their children to church to hear the preaching of the word of God in church. And he's pleased, therefore, to use us. He's pleased to use you and me. Instruments in the hands of Christ for the building and the gathering of his church. But the point that Christ makes is, and we must never forget that, the work is Christ's work, the work of building. And that means that he doesn't really need men. He doesn't really need you and me. He did not say to his disciples, and he does not say to us, I need you, I need your help, I'm depending on you for the building of my church. He doesn't need certain men. He doesn't need certain pastors. He doesn't need certain 
missionaries or office bearers or members with great abilities for the building of his church. In fact, Christ is usually pleased not to use great men, but small men. Not men who are considered important and powerful and influential men, but he is generally pleased to use small men. Scripture speaks of that in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And here is, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, and yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Generally, God is pleased to use weak and small and seemingly insignificant men. Why? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That no one, that no one may say, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Look what I was able to do. Look at the church that I established. And in fact, sometimes Christ makes our human efforts and our work as those whom he uses, he sometimes make that, makes that seem fruitless and even seem to be a failure from a human point of view. Years of work with very little positive fruit. But he does that to keep us from pride. And he does that so the focus is on the work that Christ does. Not the work that a man does. He does that so he receives the praise for the salvation of his church, his precious body and bride. Christ will build his church. But our Lord Jesus Christ does more than just build the church. He also protects his church. His church has opposition, fierce opposition. Sometimes there is human opposition Human opposition from outside the church, and worse still, human opposition from inside the church. But Christ is not simply protecting his church from human opposition, although that's definitely implied here, but he is protecting his church from spiritual opposition. He is protecting his church from the gates of hell. The text says. It's a very descriptive phrase concerning the church's enemies. It's a reference to the full force of the powers of hell. And the idea is this, according to the text, namely that the gates of hell open up and all who are there come charging out against the church of Christ. The devil comes and all his demons come with him and all the powers of sin come raging against the church. All the power of the world and of the ungodly in this world. And they are all fighting against the church of Christ. They are all set on destroying the church of Christ. And they are all attempting to snatch even just one sheep away from the Lord Jesus Christ. A very forceful opponent using temptations and heresy and persecution and ungodliness and worldliness and 
the attraction to sin that the people of God have, as we considered earlier today. And so the church is engaged in a mighty battle in this world. The church has a powerful enemy. The church is, just like the Christian himself or herself, constantly at war. But Christ knows about our enemies. And Christ promises to protect the church from those enemies. His promise is this, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. His promise is not this, that the church will have it easy in this world. He doesn't promise that. His promise is not the gates of hell will not even come against the church, will not even try to fight her. He doesn't promise that. We cannot expect things to be easy for the church in this world. Satan will keep attacking. And the church will continue to have troubles and struggles. But Christ's promise is this. Even though the gates of hell rage against my church, the most powerful enemy, the greatest forces that could possibly come against my church, they will never, ever prevail. And if Christ will protect his church from the greatest forces that would and could possibly come against her, then the lesser forces will not prevail against her either. church will not be destroyed and all the forces of hell cannot snatch away even one elect child of God from Christ. And though it sometimes can seem like the devil does prevail, it does seem at times like Satan has a victory in the church. It can seem that way just in general in the church world today. There is much apostasy. There are many who call themselves Christians and call themselves the church and they are no longer faithful to the Word of God. There are very few in our day that are truly interested in the Scriptures and in the truth of the Word of God that honors God and that humbles man. And it can perhaps seem that way even in this church, in Providence. Struggle because of size, because we're small. We struggle because we're mocked and criticized. We struggle because no one around us seems that interested in the truth and church growth is minimal. We struggle because there are those who leave. It can seem that the devil prevails, but Christ says he will not. It's never the case that the devil overcomes. It's never the case that the devil wins. Because Christ is sovereign and he controls every move of Satan. And Satan therefore will never destroy the church. Satan will never snatch away even one of Christ's precious sheep. None will be lost. They will be preserved unto the end. Christ is protecting his church. Christ is protecting and promises to protect provident Protestant Reformed Church. And if you have Christ, that's 
all that you need. Christ saving you and your children, Christ giving you faith, Christ giving you hope, Christ spreading abroad in your hearts the love of God, Christ forgiving your sins, Christ protecting you who are his sheep, so that while there is much apostasy and departure from the faith today, Jesus Christ keeps you faithful and keeps you together. While the general church world around us today and many who confess to be Christians use the Lord's Day for themselves, Christ gathers you together here on Sunday to sit under the faithful preaching of His Word. That's the work of Christ. And while in many churches today people receive, you could say, as Christ, or as the scripture uses that phrase, people receive stones for bread, the Lord Jesus Christ provides you here with faithful preaching of the gospel. He has in the past. He promises to do so going forward as well. The church's continued existence, therefore, does not depend upon men. It is the work of Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing. I hope we appreciate that. If the church's existence, if our existence as Provident PRC, if our existence as the PRCP in the Philippines, if our existence as the PRCA or as Covenant Evangelical Reformed Church in Singapore or other faithful churches in the world depended on us, depended on men, we would quickly ruin the church and we would quickly destroy the church. Because we do not love the church as Christ loves the church. And we, instead of building, are often guilty of tearing down the church. Christ builds, and we become guilty of tearing down what he builds. Because of petty differences or personal preferences, we like to attack and to criticize others in the church. Because we think we know what the church needs and we give our opinion of what the church ought to be doing and ought to do and no one listens to us, we become angry. And if things do not go our way, we undermine the unity and the peace of the church through our sin of gossip or of slander. And we sinfully attack the church and sinfully attack each other as members of the church. Contrary to the warning of Scripture in Galatians 5.15, which says if ye bite and devour one another, you will destroy each other and destroy the church. If the church's future, the church's safety, the church's protection depended on us, the church would go under. You could say it's an astounding thing that the church still does exist. But it does. And it does because the work of building and the work of protecting is the work of Christ. He is gracious and he preserves his people, sinners though we are. He builds and he protects his church. And all of this is sure, this is certain. It is certain first of all because it is the work of Christ. 
That's a good reminder. Sometimes we proudly think the future of the church depends on us. And we think to ourselves, the Lord Jesus Christ needs me in this church, and the church needs me in it. The cause of Jesus Christ in this congregation will not succeed without me. If it were not for me, who would there be? Who would there be to guide the church in the right way? Who would there be to point things out that are wrong? Who would there be to see to it that the church remains faithful to the truth? Who would there be to defend the Reformed faith? And proudly we say, it's a good thing that I'm a member of this church and busy doing what I'm doing in the church because the church needs me in it. If we think that Christ needs us, then we face the question, and we have to face the question, are we able to humble sinners? Are we able to save someone who is lost in sin? Are you able as a parent to cause your children to believe? Why does the preaching of the word bear fruit? Why is anyone kept and preserved in his or her salvation? And the answer is in the text. Because Christ preserves, builds his church and preserves it. That's why. And the answer of the text does not include men. The answer of the text is not because of us that the church is safe and secure. It is the work of Christ. And because, of the work, because it is the work of Christ, there is hope. Because it is the work of Christ, the church is secure and the outcome is certain. What makes it absolutely certain, absolutely sure, is that the church that our Lord Jesus Christ is building and protecting is His church. He tells us that, I will build my church. The church is not an institution of man. The church is not something that belongs to men so that we say, well, this is so-and-so's church and this is so-and-so. No, this is Christ's church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. He will build and he will protect it because it belongs to him, belongs to him through God's decree of election when God gave the church to his son. And now he has redeemed that church by his sacrifice. And that church will be built by him and will be protected by him because that church is so, so precious to him. More precious to him than silver or gold. More precious to the son of God than life itself. How precious is the church to, to Jesus Christ? He laid down his own life to save her. He loves his church and is very possessive of that church. And therefore Christ says to the devil, and Christ says to the ungodly and the wicked and to anyone who tries to destroy his church and who comes against her and attacks her, he says to them, this is my church, mine. She belongs to me. Hands off. Leave her alone. Stop fighting against me by fighting against the church. My church is precious. 
And because, of, because she is so precious to me, I will make sure that she will stand now, that she will stand forever into the glories of heaven. Christ cannot forsake the church. Christ will never allow anyone to destroy his church. So may we remember this precious promise. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ promises something, he fulfills it. He is faithful. He always keeps his word. And so we put our trust in him. We pray to him for our protection and safety as the church of Christ here in this place, believing his promise, a promise that dispels our fears and a promise that comforts our hearts. Amen. Our God and Father in heaven, we thank thee for the work of Christ in us and in our midst. We are dependent on him, but we are also very thankful to him for his gracious and mighty work of building his church, a church that he loves and a church that he protects, and a church that he will glorify one day and preserves her in this world with a view to our glorification with him in heaven forever and forever. Comfort our hearts, strengthen our faith and trust in thee and in Christ thy Son and his good work in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.